everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. God, I thank you for uh, this ministry. Thank you for all these students that are here today. Thank you for the worship that we are able to offer up. Thank you uh, for the worship band and the time and effort that they put um, into making sure that we could have a wonderful service this morning. I pray that your word would speak to all of us, that it would change um, our lives, our attitudes, our hearts, and the way that we relate with you, God. I pray that your word would teach us to more closely follow you. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Yeah, there we go. Give it up for worship band. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is good to be with you today. Uh, before I get started today, I feel like I need to preface some of the things I want to talk about this morning by saying some of the things that I want to address today are going to seem a little bit more complicated than maybe we're typically used to, okay? Um, I want to throw around some words that might be a little more complicated. They're going to have ideas attached to them, but I know you guys are smart. You guys are not stupid, okay? You guys are taking algebra, biology. I know what you're doing in high school. You're doing complicated stuff, right? If you're in algebra, you know what an asymptote is, okay? The leaders in here probably don't know what an asymptote is, all right? Wait, who here knows what an asymptote is? Yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. We got two people, okay. All right, I think you get my point anyways, okay? So, as we go through, stick with me. I want to very clearly lay out what I'm supposed to talk about, where we're going, okay? So I want you to hang with me. Um, so, to set the stage of what I want to talk about, one of the most important things that I think is absolutely critical for us, for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, and even for those of us who might not follow the Lord Jesus, but have grown up in the United States and you're somewhat familiar with this Bible stuff, is to understand at least on a foundation what the purpose is of God's moral law. Okay? Hang with me. So, of course, when I mean purpose, I mean the intent, the design, the why, um, how it plays out in our lives, all of those things. And by the moral law, what I mean is God's set of moral rules and commandments that he has given all of humanity to obey. Okay? So we're talking the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the, the Ten Commandments are God's basic framework of how every person on the globe should live their lives. And then there's more principles laid out in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Okay, there's a, some ceremonial law mixed in there too. But as a general framework, God's moral law was provided to us through the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament. Okay? So hopefully we're all on the same page there. I'm guessing that most of you in this room fit into one of, of two categories. Category one, you are saved by the blood of Jesus. You are walking with the Lord. You know him. Your life is conformed to his image, etc., etc. If you If that's the case for you, then learning these things that are what we're going to talk about are going to hopefully encourage you, uh, train you to humble yourself, uh, and follow the Lord Jesus more closely. 
Hopefully it'll be a joyful reminder for you, and we'll even learn a little bit of theology today, okay? And then category two, maybe that's not the case. Maybe you have grown up in church, this church perhaps, you were in the little kids wing, you were in the junior high, now you're here, you're getting older, you're getting a little cynical, you're starting to have some questions about all of this Bible Jesus stuff, okay? You come to church, and all you can hear on a Sunday morning is, do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there, don't touch your girlfriend, don't touch your boyfriend, don't watch that TV show, don't listen to that music, etc., etc., etc. And maybe some of this stuff seems like a contradiction to you, right? What's the point of all these rules if Jesus just saves us from all of our sin? Maybe you're starting to listen to people who say Christianity is just a bunch of made-up rules to try to make people behave better, okay? I'm guessing some of you are here in this room. And even if you haven't grown up in church at all, and you're new to all this, uh, you've certainly grown up in America, which has a very heavy culturally Christian element to it. And so just by being in America, you probably know the Ten Commandments or something like it, okay? So if that's, if, and so that's the case for you, then I hope some of these questions and these things that are going around in your head uh, will be answered. So like I said, I think it's important for everyone, regardless of what category you fit in, to understand the purposes of God's moral law. Today we're going to be unpacking one of those purposes. God's moral law serves many, many purposes in our lives. God gave it to us for many reasons. We're going to be focusing on one of them and what our, I argue would probably be the primary one of them because it's something Jesus um, addressed a lot in his ministry. Okay? We do like a 50-week series on this, so we're doing just one element. So, before I dive in, let's take a quick detour I have a little fun activity for us to do. We're going to solve a math problem together, okay? Everyone like math? Boo? Yeah. Math gets boos? Yeah, well, that's Trent. Let's go, Trent. Math, awesome, okay? Who likes math in here? Very few hands, yeah, yeah, good call, good call. Okay, math problem. Throw it up on the screen for me. Okay, here we go. Let me read the problem. A part of a lubrication system consists of two circular discs between which a lubricant flows radially. The flow takes place because of a pressure drop, delta P, between the inner and outer radii. Write the equations of continuity and motion for the flow system. <coughs> Excuse me. Even I have an adverse reaction to this stuff. Okay? Show how the equation of continuity enables one to simplify the equation of motion to give negative P theta squared over r squared equals negative delta p over dr plus mu over r derives two times. I, I tell you what, I'll cut you guys, I'll make it easy for you guys, just solve a and b for me, okay? So if you guys want to get out your notebooks and get to work on this, go right ahead. Does anyone have any takers? Who thinks that they have a shot at getting this done? Does anyone even can even begin to comprehend this stuff. Trent can? Yeah, that's okay, Seth. You're good. You don't need that. that. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got news for you. You're probably not going to be able to get it done. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's a little small there on the screen. Okay, 
I think you all guys all get the point. None of you have a shot at getting this done, right? If I gave all of, all, if I gave this problem to you in a test, all of you are getting an F. Failure, zero, not happening. We are going to find out this morning by taking a look at God's word. We're going to see that metaphorically speaking, God's Ten Commandments, all of his rules, all of his statutes are somewhat like this math problem in the sense that they are impossible for us to achieve of our own merit, impossible for us to achieve perfectly. So in light of that, bless you back there. So in light of that, let's open to Galatians 3. We're going to be, uh, yeah, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It'll be up on the screen for us. Thank you much. Okay, here we go. I actually uh, chopped off the first half of the verse because he's making references to other things that he had spoke about previously. Um, I would encourage you to go follow up on that uh, this week. Okay? Is the law then contrary to God promises? Contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Here we go. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay? So in these two verses, Paul is using the term the law and the scriptures. We covered that a little bit already. Right? The Old Testament, God's revealing his uh, his model for human behavior, the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy, right? His, his moral law. You can go look at them for yourself. There are a ton, especially in some of the other parts of the Old Testament. Uh, it's going to take you quite a bit of time to get through them. But as a basic framework, God's Ten Commandments are the high-level summary. So I actually threw them up on my slides here. If you could pull those up. Yeah, let's go through these. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Some of these, I, I, there's more here in the verses, but I, I truncated. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Okay? So... Those are God's Ten Commandments that he outlined for the Israelites on Mount Sinai. So let's go back to Galatians then. Now that we've laid that basic framework, we're understanding what the law is, what the moral law of God is. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Paul is refuting the idea that was spreading among the Galatians that God's moral law could save you. So to provide some context, <coughs> excuse me, Paul is writing to the Galatian church. <coughs> Sorry. Paul is writing to the Galatian church because the Galatians have something going on theologically in their, in their church. Something's gone awry. They have begun to drift away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ 
and they have started to put their faith in themselves and their own effort to earn them God's favor, God's righteousness, God's promise of eternal life. Right? So they're in this weird interstitial space where Jesus is there, and yeah, okay, we like we believe that kind of, but like there's this law thing going on here, and I'm feeling that a lot. I really like the law. I want to drift in that direction, and as long as I can do all of this of my own effort to some perfect or to some imperfect degree, if I can do that enough, then God will save me. And so what's happening is Paul is writing them, and he is completely going to unpack, or I'm sorry, he's going to completely unravel this argument, straight up debunk it. It starts with the if in verse 21, right? If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So the if is kind of the key word right there because he's, he's, he's making a hypothetical. He's offering up a hypothetical idea. Yeah, if the law, if a law that had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. So if God gave us a law that could save us, then yeah, you're right, Galatian church. Keep plugging away with your sort of white-knuckle discipline Keep plugging away. Keep believing that Jesus is like a component of your salvation, but not the entire thing. Hypothetically speaking, if that were the case, then you would be right. But, Paul's going to go on to explain why that's not the case and how this really works in verse 22. So the if is followed by a, don't laugh, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So again, when he says scriptures, he means God's law, God's commands, God's principles, God's statutes. And when he says the promise, he's referring to salvation, Saving from our sins, delivery from the penalty of eternal separation, of eternal conscious torment, delivery from that by the blood of Jesus, as we're going to see in a second. So when he says the promise, he's referring to salvation. So let's focus in here on the first half of verse 22 minute for a minute because this is super, super important. Um, this is a super, super important component of Paul's argument. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the, whole, the whole, not the whole package, that's really the pillar on which this whole idea is built. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So let's talk imprisonment for idea. Uh, let's talk about the idea of imprisonment for a little bit. Um, some sources I was looking at talked about the Greek word that's used there for imprisoned means to enclose in on all sides. So a source I was looking at actually used um, the analogy of a fish being caught in a net. Right, no escape. Um, the fish gets trapped, enclosed in the net, no way of escape, no way out, right? It's completely enclosed by the net. And then, of course, 
the, the, what we literally tend to think of sometimes when we hear the word imprisoned is prison, right? Jail, right? Where John Collins is going to end up later in life. Yeah, you. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it later. That's fine. We'll bring your dad into it too. In fact, wouldn't it be so funny if your dad was the one who put you? That would be hilarious. That would be so funny. I would love that. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. John's not going to prison, hopefully. I certainly don't want him to go to prison. But anyways, you get the point, right? Prison, being locked up in jail for something that you did wrong, a crime that you had committed, completely enclosed by concrete, iron bars, all of that. You ain't getting out, okay? Uh, I actually like the analogy of prison a lot because in the context of a prison, someone has a key to get you out. And we'll explore in a minute here that that analogy works great because Jesus is the one with the key, right? So going back to the verse here, Paul is saying that God's laws made it essentially impossible to follow perfectly and trapped us all as sinners. They imprisoned everything as sin. Actually, if we could go back to the Ten Commandments for a second, I just want to, sorry, I wanted to throw them up there. Um, I just want to extrapolate on this idea that there's no way any of us could possibly achieve this of our own merit. Right, God has established these rules, and we know that at some point in our lives, we are going to break these rules. Now, if you want to explore a sin a little more deeply, I think, I think we break these rules on a daily basis. But at least from a high-level summary, it would be absolutely impossible to, to accomplish all of these rules in our lives without breaking them one time, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Boom. How many of us in this room? Oh my goodness, right? Girlfriend, boyfriend, grades, possessions. The list goes on and on and on. Like, we're, 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 we're at level one, and all of us are already guilty. We haven't we even begun to dive, uh, dive deep into that, okay? Sorry, thank you for pulling those up. You can go back to the verse. Thank you much. Uh, so, again... The scripture imprisoned everything under the sin, created this impossible barrier that we could never po- follow perfectly, trapped us all as sinners. We see from uh, the teaching of Jesus, actually, multiple times that God's law not only applies to our external behaviors, but our inward attitudes, our thoughts, right? So that really ups the ante quite a bit when we're talking about uh, our obedience to the law. If you can transgress, if you can uh, cross um, the line, disobey the moral law of God, break it with our thoughts and our attitudes, my goodness, that, that, that really, really creates a difficult standard, right? It's theoretically possible for us to obey some of them from an outward perspective, you know, thieving, adultery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But on the inward side, not a chance. God's word says elsewhere that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No escape, no righteousness of our own. I think if we and we did go back and uh, read the Ten Commandments, but again, impossible standard, right? So, with that in mind, let's talk about the second half of verse twenty-two. 
we are going to see the answer to the why question. Why is this the case? We're going to see it's because the word so that, right? The word so that, that indicates we're going to get an explanation for something. Why did God create all these rules and laws that we couldn't obey perfectly? The answer is clear right there. So that the promise, salvation, by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is a very strong and clear statement from God's word telling us that God brought everything under sin on purpose. God did that. Brought everything under sin on purpose in order that he could give salvation to all who believe. Saving from eternal punishment for all of our sin. And of course, let's not forget that free, ca- uh, free case. Key phrase in there, by faith in Jesus Christ. So we've already covered extensively the who part, right? Jesus is the one who saves us. But um, the scriptures repeatedly teach and affirm that faith and faith alone is what make us righteous in God's eyes. That's kind of an aside topic which we're not necessarily addressing today, the the faith component of that, but we've clearly covered the who, right? Jesus is the one who saves us. So, moving on to another verse that I have here up on the slides. Paul, the same man who wrote Galatians, also wrote Romans. He explains this idea again in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Do I have a slide for that? I think I do. Romans 3? No? There we go. Hey, thank you much. Everyone give up a hand for everyone in the back. Hey, that's a hard job. That is a hard job. I did that before. That, ugh, that's a tough job, staying on top of that. Thank you, guys. Okay, so here again we are seeing, that we're seeing the same components that, that, that Paul talked about in Galatians 3, right? The law stops every mouth. So to explain that a little bit, right, it's the idea of silencing people, Stop, stopping the mouth, completely shutting down any self-sufficiency, silence before the Lord, because you got nothing to say, right? So the law stops every mouth, brings the whole world accountable. Sorry, I lost my place here. Brings the whole world accountable, brings about knowledge and experience of sin. And then again, we have the reason Why? Because by the law, nobody, no human being will be justified in his sight. By the law, nobody will be made right with God. We've got another verse, one more. Galatians 2.16. If you notice, this is earlier in our passage today in Galatians 3. Paul's again refuting this idea uh, in, in, in another wording refuting the idea that obedience to the law somehow makes you right or saved by God. 
accepted by God. We know that a person is not justified or saved, right, by works of the law. But through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Pretty clear, right? Paul is absolutely hammering this idea home. And he's doing that for incredibly important reasons, I think. Okay, we'll explore that in a second here. So what we see here in Galatians 3 and in Romans and in Galatians 2, all throughout the Bible, is that God's design and desire from the very beginning was always that we would need him and rely on him alone to gain salvation and the promise of heaven. God's plan and design was always to show his grace and his mercy by saving us from our sins by his doing, not ours. So these passages and others are very clear Jesus was always, always, always the answer to our shortcomings to God's moral law, God's impossible standard that we could never achieve of our own merit. God's laws do not replace Jesus. They do not contradict Jesus. They point to Jesus. The moral law of God is designed to crush you and sort of to bring it, if, if you're familiar with the New Testament, if you're familiar with the life of Jesus, there's all these stories about Jesus and his inter interaction with the Pharisees, and he's always saying stuff to them that sounds mean or unkind or rebuking them. That's because they didn't understand that. They did not look at the moral law of God and go, oh, oh my goodness, I can't possibly bear this weight. That was not their attitude. Their attitude was the opposite stuck up, prideful, believing that they could accomplish what God has told them to do of their own merit. And that led them down all sorts of wild paths, which we can explore on another day perhaps. Right? They, the, the Pharisees, the religious in Jesus' time, didn't understand that the moral law of God was meant to crush them, an impossible standard, an impossible burden that human beings could never, ever, ever bear of their own effort. And so, bringing it back to the math problem that I showed everyone earlier, right? God's moral law, impossible standard us, an impossible standard for us to not sin against. So, just like I gave you that fluid mechanics problem that none of you had a shot at solving, God intentionally gave us an impossible standard for us to keep perfectly. And in doing that, he decided to provide Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice to die on the cross and save us from all of those times when we break God's law. If we could keep God's law perfectly, we wouldn't need God, we wouldn't need Jesus, we wouldn't need a savior. We could do it of our own. That's not how God designed it, clearly. That's not how he wanted it. 
He desired that we would need him for salvation. And in order to do that, he gave us an impossible to follow perfectly standard. Okay? All right. As I have some closing thoughts here, I have a couple applications we could throw up on the screen. So, how does this apply to all of us, right? We've learned a little bit of a theological concept today that the moral law of God was an impossible standard. What's the point? When I started, I was talking to two kinds of, of you students here in this room. So group one, for those of you who follow the Lord, what's the application here? Why is this relevant for me to understand the instructing and condemning aspects of God's moral law. Um, as you age, this is certainly true for me, you become acutely aware of your own sinfulness. If you are following after the Lord and you are continuing to grow in Him to be sanctified, if anyone knows what I mean when I say that, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to grow, to deal with sin in your life, you become aware just how sinful you really are, just how terrible of a person you are, and just how much you disobey God. Like I said, this is true for me. So for me, uh, and for all of us who follow Jesus, it can be so difficult, so incredibly difficult to not drift into thinking, boy, God really hates me, he doesn't want to save me, he doesn't love me, um, he, want, he would rather just punish me eternally than accept me. I should probably be better, do better, and then God will love me and accept me. If I can just perform better, do more, not do this, not do that, then maybe God will be good to me and he will be loved me. And he, maybe, will God, maybe God will be good to me and love me. That we know that that's just not true. And these concepts that we've learned today should encourage us in that sense, right? That Jesus has delivered us. Jesus has saved us. The penalty is paid. The law was never something that we could adhere to. It was always supposed to crush us. It was always supposed to imprison everything under sin so that we would need Jesus. So the application for us today is to remind ourselves that Christ's blood has saved us, that Christ's blood has saved you and me. Fix your eyes on the cross. Like I said, again, as you get older, you'll become acutely aware from this, aware of this, and there will be times when you will be almost unbearably discouraged, crushed, overwhelmed. Look to Jesus. Remember that Jesus has paid your penalty. Now, quick caveat, okay, in some sense, it's a good thing that you feel that way, right? If you feel crushed by your sin, if you feel overwhelmed, that is a wonderful sign that God has done something in your heart. That's the heart of repentance, and the moral, that, that's working, right? The moral law of God is working then. That, right, that, that, that idea that it's, that it's meant to condemn you is working on you. And you see your sin, you see your need for Jesus. So I, quick caveat there, that, that's a good thing. But my, my point is, as you grow older, you can tend to um, drift into an unnecessary you can be, you can be um, 
convinced by the enemy that you are not right with God, that he doesn't love you. Focus on Jesus, okay? If you, came, if, you, if you in your life take your eyes off the cross and you trust in yourself, it will leave you in despair and in doubt. Every day of your life, closely follow Jesus in obedience and trust entirely on the blood of Jesus for your personal salvation, not your own efforts. Fix your eyes on the cross. For group two, those of you in this room who might be in some kind of in-between, I hope this morning that if you're on that fringe of trusting Jesus, maybe you've grown up in church, you know the game, you're sort of drifting away maybe if you've become cynical and annoyed uh, by all these Christian morals and the moral law and, and, and all of this isn't making sense for you. I hope today you have learned that God's law is not some ridiculous set of rules and commands that are in place for no reason. I hope you see that God's laws do not replace Jesus, they don't contradict Jesus, but that they point to Jesus. And I hope even more that, that you, if you understand God's law, better leaving today, I hope you're crushed by that. I hope you see your sin, I hope you see your need for Jesus, and I hope that you would turn to him in faith and repentance. So my second application is to see your sin and turn to Jesus and trust in him for salvation. Uh, so I want to make this clear before I close. Quick clarification. A lot of times when pe people who, like me, who have a desire to teach on something like this or when preachers teach about the moral law of God in this way, it can come off, like it, it can sound like we're saying that the moral law of God is a bad thing. The moral law of God is not a bad thing. It is a very good thing. So I hope nothing of what I have said today discourages you from a life that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. So I hope, uh, I hope today you don't live and you've decided, sweet, the law of God's impossible for me to follow. I'm done. I'll just go live freely however I want. That is not the intent. At the beginning, I said that, uh, that God's moral law has many purposes. One of the other purposes is that it was given to us so that we could follow him and we could live a life of holiness and we could, as best as we can, with the help of the Lord, model our lives after God would have us do that. Okay? So that's a conversation for another day. These ideas don't contradict. They blend together perfectly, but I wanted to leave you with that, okay? Hopefully nothing of what I have said today negates the call to deal with sin in our lives and live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, okay? Everyone good? Good. Let's pray and get out of here. Father God, thank you for these students. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your law. Thank you that you gave it to us as an impossible standard to imprison everything under sin so that the promise might be given by faith in Jesus to those who believe. 
imprisoning everything under sin so it would point us to our need for a Savior. I pray for those of us in this room who follow after you, that as we grow in our knowledge of you and we grow in our experience of you and as we follow closely after Jesus, that we would not become overwhelmed by our sense of sin and we would not drift into believing that we can behave better to become more right with you. That we would not consider ourselves to be saved by Jesus but perfected in the flesh. No, Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus bears 100% of that bill that needed paid. I pray that all of us who follow you in this room would focus on that, remember that, keep our eyes focused on the cross. And I pray if there's anyone in here who does not know you, I hope that they would see sin in their lives and that they would see their need for a Savior in Jesus. I pray for safety and health for all these students as we go out into the world. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Good morning and citizens.